Let's jump over to Second uh, Corinthians chapter 4, 2 Corinthians 4. And we'll just read the last verse, verse 18 together. Paul said, While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. The things which are seen are temporary. The things which are not seen are eternal. Life is full of tensions. The world is full of tensions tonight. Tensions in the Middle East, Syria, Israel, Iran. Tensions in Europe with the Euro and Greece and Spain and Italy and Ireland all over. Tension. Tension in governments. Tensions all over. Tensions in our own lives. What are tensions? Opposites. We want to pull us one way and pull us another way. And we live between the tension of those tensions. Tension between good and evil. Between right and wrong. Between faith and fear. Hope and despair. Death and life. Flesh and spirit. The earthly and the heavenly. All of these are tensions we've got to deal with. All human beings, whether they understand it or believe it or not, all human beings live between the tensions of the natural and the spiritual, between heaven and between earth. More specifically, us as believers, we live between the tensions of what we know as we have learned through our senses, through natural ordinary means and what we do know through our redeemed spirit what we have from the revelation of God's word and God's spirit so we have to live as believers constantly between the tension of those those two things and they often clash there often is a confrontation between those and the verses of scripture that we just read shows that there are Tension in verse 16 of that same chapter. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. So there's a tension between this outward man that we live in and the spirit man that is within us. And even though the outward man is getting older and weaker and perishing, that the inner man, that spirit that's been revived and regenerated and been renewed by God, is alive unto God. And as we go older in our Christian experience, that become stronger, not weaker. But there's a tension between those two things. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Paul continues, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. 
For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. So there's another tension. Groaning within this tent that we live in. But knowing full well that we have a far better home made for us, not with human hands, that is awaiting us eternal in the heavens. In chapter 5, verse 7, for we walk by faith and not by sight. So there's another tension that we're constantly walking between, between what we see and our faith, what our natural eyes see around us, and what we see with the eye of faith, what we believe and trust in our hearts. Then there's a tension, of course, obviously, between the flesh and the spirit. In Galatians chapter 6, Verse 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who reaps, sorry, for he sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Verse 16 of chapter 5, the previous chapter in Galatians, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the desires of the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. There's the tension. So that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. And then it goes on. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, which I tell you before, just as I've told you in time past, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Against such there is no law. So we are constantly in between the tensions of the spirit and of the flesh. Now, Christian, as long as you live in this world, you are going to live between these tensions. You are a creature of the dust. And yet, and yet, Peter says, we are partakers of the divine nature. Who can fully understand these things? These are great tensions that we live between. You have a house on earth. You have a home in heaven. Right now you're limited to time and to space. And yet the very stuff of eternity is in your heart. Now why am I saying this tonight? Because of these tensions. They will affect every part of your life and my life. 
So we need to understand that we need to be able to handle the tensions. It will affect every part of your life. It will affect the partner that you choose. Is the partner that you choose godly? Do they love the Lord? It's amazing how many Christians, and they never even think of that when they choose a partner. But let me tell you, you will be in for unbelievable tension if you do that. If you love the Lord, make sure that you choose somebody who loves the Lord. And should you have to wait 50 years to get them, it'll be worth the wait. <laughs> Better than 50 years with somebody who doesn't love the Lord, let me tell you. But that's a tension that you're going to have to decide. It will affect that choice that you make. How you spend your money. You'll be pulled in all kinds of directions. How you budget, how you spend your money, what you decide to spend your money on. Does God get his portion? Many, many, many Christians, God does not get his portion. Because the pull of other needs takes it away and God's portion gets frittered away and all kinds of stuff. Maybe nice stuff, maybe good stuff, but stuff nonetheless. But these are tensions that we have to make up our mind in. We have to make sure. And so all of these things will bring us to decisions. The lifestyle that you lead, there's going to be a tension. You're going to be faced with issues how will I live my life as a believer? Will I be God-honoring? Will I put God first? Will Jesus be foremost in my life? Whatever I do, can I say, Lord, I do this to your honor and to your glory? Because you're going to be caught in the tension not to do that. To do what the world does around you. So these are tensions that every single day of her life that we've got to face will affect every part of her life. So how do you handle the tensions in this life? How do you handle that? How do you come to those decisions, make those choices, live the right life and do the right thing? How do you do all of that? Well, here's the first way. Look to the Word instead of the world. Because right there is one of the major tensions that every Christian faces. The world out there just does what the world does. But you and I live in a world, but we're not of this world. We're of another world. And as long as we're in this world, we're not of this world, we belong to another world, so we've got to make sure that our lives is lived accordingly to the rules and the dictates of that other world where God rules. And so we find this even in business, in business. We had a lovely testimony when you uh, preached there the other week about that particular gentleman who made a choice in the decision that when it came the Lord's day, he was going to put the Lord first, first no matter what in his business. Should he lose his business? 
And the Lord honored that man. In fact, it gave him a great opportunity to be a witness to another businessman because he made that choice. And so for anyone who's in business, they're going to be faced with the tension, do we do it the world's way or do we do it God's way? Do we just kind of slip stuff under the radar or do we say, no, I'm going to be truly honest and I'm going to do it God's way? Because we're all going to be faced with that sooner or later. But these are things, this is practical tonight. This is where we live, isn't it? What about parenting? Do we parent God's way or do we parent the world's way? Because you as a parent are coming under fantastic pressure, tremendous pressure, not to do what the Word says. Tremendous pressure. It will be drummed into you continually. And there won't be anything of God's Word in it. You can be sure of that. <laughs> It'll be the world's way. So what do you do? God's way or the world's way? Guess which is the best way? God's way, isn't it? It's always the best way. But you will be pushed and coerced and made to feel the odd one out or strange or unusual or a fanatic or whatever simply because you decide to do it God's way. I was reading just the other day about Amy Carmichael. Amy Carmichael was from Malaya, County Down. Tremendous missionary in India. Went out there and worked among the, the young, young temple prostitutes. But nobody cared about it. That was used and abused. And she went out there to work among them and do a great work for God. Lived till she was in her mid-80s before she died and was greatly honored. Her mom and dad was saved during the revival, the 1859 revival. And as their children grew up, they taught them the principles of God. Now we know that when children get to a certain age, they've got to make up their own mind. We understand that. But at least if we teach them the principles of God, at least we can hold up our hands and say, well, God, I did everything I could. We know that God has no grandchildren. When they get a certain age, they've got to decide for themselves. But that couple brought up their children as best they could to love the Lord and to honor God. And she said that she had the happiest life and she said even though it was tough and it was difficult in those days even to live. But when she went to India, she said that her upbringing was one of the greatest things for her mission. It taught her so much and made her so strong. But you see, we're caught in the tension today. What about education? What about education? Isn't there a great tension today to try to pull, our educators trying to pull us away from this word? Faith schools in England are coming under great attack. There's people who wants to close them down and yet they've got some of the highest academic uh, rewards in, in schools in England and yet they want to close them down because they're faith schools because what they teach, a lot of it's based on the word of God. There's people, if they had the way, there would be no scriptures taught in school. There'd be no prayers in school. There'd be no issues. There'd be nothing like that. 
And we live in the middle of this tension continually. Thank God we still have schools and we still have teachers and we still have people in this country. Thank God who still believes that the Word of God and prayer should be in school. But it's being chipped away continually. We've got to live in the tension of that. And so this world tries to say there's no place for the Word of God. There's no place for Christianity. Science is what we need. Education, academically, what we need. We don't need fairy stories. We don't need any accounts of creation because there's a lot of nonsense. Evolution is what's true. It's a fact. And so that tension is building continually. And here are we caught in the middle. And sometimes you're in a very small minority. And yet the Scripture says in Proverbs 1 and 7 and Proverbs 9 and 10 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So if we take the, the reverence, we take the fear of the Lord away, what's going to happen to our knowledge and our wisdom? It's going to be the knowledge of this world, the wisdom of this world, but not the wisdom of this book, not God's wisdom. But we're caught in the tension, aren't we? Here we are continually. Evolution is the big thing, of course, that has to be taught. It's treated as fact. It's unprovable. It's unworkable. <laughs> but it's still taught as fact. I had to smile this week. Some of you know we talked about it in our cell group. Professor Dawkins, that uh, avowed atheist, the most famous atheist probably in Western world today. He was on a radio program last week, Radio 4. Uh, his think tank brought out this report. They took this poll among so-called believers or Christians, rather so-called Christians in a so-called Christian country. They tried to prove that it isn't really a Christian country at all. So they did this kind of straw poll among them, kind of vox pop thing. And here's what he said. He said, a poll produced by his think tank which claimed that the great majority of people who call themselves Christian do not read the Bible and rarely pray. In the broadcast, the 70-year-old said that the survey showed that two out of three Christians could not name the first book of the New Testament as the gospel according to St. Matthew. It claimed that one in six Christians have never read the Bible, that only 28% believe in Christian teachings. So on the today program, Duncan said, many of them don't go to church, don't read the Bible. An astonishing number couldn't identify the first book in the New Testament. He said the survey had pulled the rug out from under the claim based on official consensus figures that 70% of the population is Christian. Now we know that sometimes it's Christian in name only. We know that. But of course he's using that to try to say, see, it's not a Christian country at all, so Christianity shouldn't be taught, it should be done away with. And that was his whole argument. However, he was arguing that on the basis that people who say they're Christians doesn't know the Bible, can't even name Matthew as the first gospel. So in the studio was the Reverend Giles Fraser, Church of England cleric. He was a regular on that program. So it says he slyly asked Mr. Dawkins to give him the full title of the origin of the species. Origin of the species, you remember, is the great book by Charles Darwin. 
So he says, he asked him for the full title of the origin of the species. He said, you are the high pope of Darwinism. If you ask people who believe in evolution that question, and you come back and said that 2% got it right, it would be terribly easy for me to say that they don't believe in it after all. So he says, Mr. Dawkins, you tell me the full title. He said, that's easy. And he started. And then he spluttered. And he spluttered. And he emmed. And he erred. And he ummed. And then he says, oh God. <laughs> he totally forgot. He couldn't remember. He couldn't do it. <laughs> he couldn't do it. He said uh, on Twitter he was being mocked as an embarrassment to atheists. <laughs> One, one writer even suggested that humiliation was the proof of the existence of God. <laughs> the full title, by the way, is On the Origin of the Species by Means of Natural Selection or the Preservation of Favored Races in the Struggle for Life. <laughs> no wonder he struggled with that mouthful. But he was so sure of himself. Sure, I can that. We'll go ahead then. But he couldn't. <laughs> I thought that was funny. I'd love to hear that. I'd have laughed out loud. But that's what we're up against, isn't it? The tension in all of these things between morality. What is moral? What is immoral? What is amoral? More and more and more we've been taught that Depends how you feel about it. If you feel good about it, there's nothing wrong with it. See, once you take the Word of God out of the whole scenario, then it's all based on how you feel about it. There's no standard, there's no yardstick, there's nothing. So we have to look to the Word of God instead of the world. James 3, we don't need to read it, but it talks about two types of wisdom. Earthly, sensual, demonic. Or heavenly wisdom. Do you know the difference between Proverbs and Ecclesiastes? Both, by and large, were written by the same person. Solomon, King Solomon. Solomon also wrote the Song of Solomon. Man, he reckoned he wrote that when he was young. And that he wrote Proverbs when he was in his prime, mature man. And he wrote Ecclesiastes when he was old. But if you look at Proverbs, remember that Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived. God gave him incredible wisdom. When you read the scriptures about Solomon, you see that the kings of the earth came to him to hear his wisdom. Queen of Sheba made a special journey just to sit at his feet. It's such a reputation for wisdom because it was God-given. And the book of Proverbs, he wrote that in his prime when the wisdom of God was flowing out of him. All those hundreds of Proverbs, wise, practical statements, full of truth and ethics, an integrity. Wonderful book to read. But then you turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. Now he's old. 
And now those thousand wives and concubines has turned his head. And he's run after other gods. And he's lost that flow of God's wisdom. And now he's cynical. And he's unbelieving. And he talks about one of the themes throughout Ecclesiastes. And I saw under the sun. The book of Proverbs is above the sun. Somebody says it's heaven sent wisdom for down to earth living. That's a good title for it, isn't it? But Ecclesiastes is under the sun. Here's a man now who is old and he's gone cynical. He's full of unbelief. Now, it's saying he ended up at the end of his days that way, but when he was writing this, he was. And as you begin to read through Ecclesiastes, you'll see just how cynical he is. Everything's a waste of time. Everything's futility, he says. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. It's nonsense, it's futility, it's emptiness that means. And over and over again he says that vanity, vanity, all is vanity, says the preacher. It's nonsense. I've had it all, it's nonsense. Seen it all, it's nonsense. That's the way he goes on. That's the way the world affects people. But thank God for Proverbs. Thank God for the wisdom of God and the knowledge of God. And that's why we've got to read this book and believe this book. So look to the Word instead of the world. Look to the Spirit instead of the flesh. Now what I mean by the flesh, I don't mean this skin, bone that you've got. Sometimes actually that does mean that in the Bible. All flesh, the Bible talks about. All humanity, all human beings. But more often or not, it's talking about, particularly in the New Testament, it's talking about our selfish nature. Our selfish nature. Our pride. Our ambition. Our want to. That goes against God's will and God's purpose and God's ways. So here we are, caught in the tension between our flesh and God's way. Let me give you little examples of that. You hear that wee voice in your heart saying, it's time to pray. Your flesh says, I don't feel like praying. It's time to go to church. I don't feel like going to church. It's time to worship the Lord. I don't feel like worshiping the Lord. That tension between your flesh and your recreated spirit is always going to be there. You have to decide which voice you're going to listen to. Because if you listen to your flesh, you'll never do anything. <laughs> it would be lovely if you always felt like praying and reading and coming to the house of God. It would be wonderful if you always felt that way, but you don't. Admit it, you don't. So you have to make a decision to discipline yourself. That's what my flesh says, but this is what God's Spirit says. That's what my flesh says, this is what God's Word says. That's what my flesh says, but this is what I say because I'm going to trust and follow the Lord. You've got to do that. You've got to make that choice and decision. Because if you let your flesh dictate to you continually, you're ever, never going to get anywhere. In Romans chapter 8, and I'm leaving out a lot of Scripture, but in Romans chapter 8, Verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ 
who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. See, there's the caveat. Are we walking according to the flesh? Or are we walking according to the Spirit? For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on the account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh but those who live according to the Spirit to the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally or fleshly minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you now. And so we have got a choice to make that we can look to the Spirit or we can look to the flesh. We can listen to the voice of the Spirit and we can listen to the voice of the flesh. Both voices will speak to us. We've got to make that choice. That's the tension you are ever going to live in in this world every single day of your life. So you've got to make that choice. Then finally, you've got to look to eternity instead of time. You've got to look to eternity instead of time. Again, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Everything, every single thing in this life will pass away, including you and me, everything. And that's why we have to get focused on eternity. That doesn't mean to say every moment of every day we're on about thinking about eternity, but it does mean that the overall tenor of our life is shaped for eternity. We know that everything we do in this life is going to count in eternity or not count in eternity, whatever the case may be. So we're going there, so we've got to be ready for that. And, and sorry, in, in Romans chapter 8... little verse here in Romans chapter 8. Verse 18, listen to what Paul says. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. <laughs> I'm having time to read tonight all the suffering that he went through. Incredible. And he said, it's not even to be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed in us. Here's a man who had his eye on eternity. Here's a man who believed that this world was not his home, that he was just a passing through, and that soon, someday, he was going to be with the Lord. Listen to what he says in Philippians chapter 1. I think this is amazing. Philippians chapter 1. 
In verse 21, he said, For me, sorry, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. For I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. (laughs) And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you for all your progress and joy of faith. He said, listen, I desperately, truly, really want to be with Jesus. But he said, I have to stay a while longer because you need me to. Because you need taught. But in all honesty, I would rather be with the Lord. (laughs) Do you know what? See, as your pastor, if I say to you tonight, I would rather be with the Lord than with any of you tonight, you would probably get offended, but you shouldn't. You should be very glad if you should even think that way. Now, I'm not going to be ready to go yet. I'm ready to go, but I don't want to go yet because there's a lot to do. So I'm not giving the Lord a hint about that. All right? But I'm ready if he comes or calls. But my heart should be, as much as I love what I'm doing, it's nothing to be compared to being with you in the glory. And you should say amen to that. (laughs) Look to eternity instead of time. Let me close with this. In Luke chapter 12, this lovely story that Jesus told. Verse 16, he said, Luke 12, Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. He thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Does that sound like the word tonight? Sounds like it to me. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. And whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Notice the many times he says, I and my. Six eyes and four my's. This man was full of himself. Self-made man. One of the programs I like to watch, I don't know if you've ever seen it, is The Secret Millionaire. Has anybody ever watched The Secret Millionaire? It's a wonderful program. If any program ever proved the point that Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive, you watch that program. Because you will see millionaires so touched and changed by simply giving. They've never done it before. But it changes them. They get more out of it than the people they gave to. But so many times when I watch it, and I saw it recently, so many times they say, I'm a self-made millionaire. 
Many of them are. I'm proud of it. Until they meet people who is little or nothing and they get in among them and they work with them for a while and they get to know them. And then their heart becomes more tender and more open and then they write them out a check for £100,000. And they get more pleasure out of writing that check than any check they've ever written in their whole lives. And sometimes they cry when they do it. They're so touched. So here's a man who's full of himself, a multi-millionaire in his day. But somebody said he made three mistakes. First of all, he mistook his bank book for his Bible. His bank book was his Bible. That's it. Steered his whole life. Then they said that he mistook his body for his soul. I will say to my soul, you have many years. He looked at his body, he was in good health. He was fit as a butcher's dog, as we would say. And he thought, I'm going to live a long time. God says, you fool, this night your soul will be required of you. But then he mistook time for eternity. Many years. This night. What a difference. See, the Christian can never mistake time for eternity. Never can mistake time. I look at these young people in the front row and they're saying, what is that old fellow talking about? I'm only 21, I'm only 18. And there he's there, that young man behind the camera. Turned 18 the other day. There's Barclay, just turned 21. What was that, Saturday, was it? Friday, Saturday? This week? Tuesday. 21, key of the door. Mother, have you given him the key of the door yet? He's probably had it for a few years, hasn't he? They're thinking, what's that old fella talking about? I'm only 18, I'm only 21. Let me tell you, young people, time just zips in. So if you're blessed enough to be able to live as long as I have, let me tell you, it just goes in like that. Sally and I were married when we were 19, 44 years ago. It's just gone like that, like a zip. Try to look back and it's just, where did that go? Where did all those years go? So that's why we've got to not live for time, but we've got to live for eternity. We've got to live in time, but we've got to live for eternity. And we've got to build our lives and gear it for eternity. If you understood, if you understood that in all of eternity, in all of eternity, how little time is in eternity. A speck, infinitesimal amount, can't even be reckoned. Bible says it's like a vapor, it's like a breath, it's like a weaver's shuttle, it's gone. So whenever we live in the tension between time and eternity, between heaven and earth, we've got to keep our eye on the final destination. We've got to keep our eye on the final destination. Because that's where we're going, amen? And so we have tensions in life pulling at us this way, that way, every day. So we've got to make our choices. And we've got to make good choices. And we've got to base our choices on God's word and what God says. And that's why you've got to pray about 
particularly major decisions, you've got to pray about it. You've got to ask God, God, what do I do? Because this can affect all of my life from here on out. It can affect eternity for me. It's a big issue. Pray about it. Seek God. Look to God's word and get the tension right. And then do it for the glory of God. Amen? Stand with me, please. We're going to pray. Lord, we thank you that we are a blessed people. We are saved. We're born again of God's Spirit. Our names are in the book of life tonight. We are a blessed people. We're a blessed people because we have got your infallible, inerrant word. We're a blessed people because your Holy Spirit teaches us this word. We're a blessed people because we've got your Holy Spirit residing in us. We're a blessed people, Lord, because you help us make the right choices and decisions to shape our future. We're a blessed people, Lord, because you love us, because you're compassionate and generous and forgiving towards us. We're a blessed people, Lord, for many, many reasons tonight. We're blessed because we're washed in the blood of the Lamb and our lives are redeemed by Christ. And so we thank you for this tonight. Help us, Lord, to live and these tensions, and to make sure that we pull in the right direction. That our lives is not distracted or wasted, but Lord, they amount to something for the kingdom of God, for God's honor and for Christ's glory. We give you thanks and we honor you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.